Contemporary compulsory state education, it was never about a, a formation. It was never about truth. No. It was never about no. higher uh, ideas, philosophies, anything. It was about preparing someone for the system of the, of the state and of the society so that they, they function well in that society. That's what it was all about, and it still is. Hello, and welcome to... Uh, why are we talking about rabbits? Rabbits are things that they seem important, but they, they're not. They're on the internet, and they're ideas that go bouncing around and reprodu- reproducing themselves. But really, we should be talking about heavy things, but let's talk about it lightly. Today we do. Father Peter's here. He's a priest. He's going to introduce himself. He's got deep and interesting thoughts. He helps us understand the old world, new world divide. I know it because I grew up with this dude. This is Father Peter Hears on Watar, episode number a lot. Father Peter, what's happening? How are you? How are you, John? Good to be back. It's really good to have you because as someone who shared a room with you for many years in life... Now we can't even share a country. What's that about? How's Greece? Uh, Greece. Greece. Greece is, uh, is good. It's good. It's, it's under the weight of the lockdown. Uh, we probably had more lockdowns here than most of, most of Europe. So, But with summer is coming, so summer is always great in Greece. It's good to be in Greece in the summer. Do people do their countenances change? What happens? I agree. Uh, summer is yeah. brilliant in the Mediterranean, but what happens from your experiences? Well, I mean, besides we getting out of this lockdown reality, that's part of it. And then, but if we, even if we didn't have all this uh, COVID insanity, uh, we would be uh, people would be getting out and spending a lot of time outside. Like here in the village, we're gardening and we're taking a lot more walks, and the day's a lot longer, so we're out. The kids are playing till late. I'm just like everybody else. It's but nature. it's uh, in the mountains. It's especially nice in the summer. I would have to say. I I, I don't miss the city. Uh, it's like five six degrees nicer up here in the mountains. We've had our battles on the city life versus country life, haven't we? <laughs> you're, see, a lo- see, you're a city lover. I when I walk through the the city, I see a forest of human beings, and they're so interesting to me, and they're also hard to get along with sometimes. In the country, you get like real trees, I guess. Quiet. Well, trees. we we like human we like human beings too. It's just that we like that we like to have them uh, encounter them and enjoy them in an environment that is a little more humane. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, I think both of these arguments make sense. It's not really an argument as much as. Could it be that urban life is like not as good for your spiritual well, life? Well, I think I mentioned this in the last time I was with you. I mean, ur- the whole urbanization process of the 20th yeah. century was very destructive to, I think, a lot of places around the world, but it was definitely in Greece. That's that's a given. And so I, yeah. I think there is a good case to be made that uh, the uprooting in the 20th century, not just the people leaving Greece and all kinds of countries and going abroad, the United States, but actually leaving the village and going to the city probably more people did that than, than anything that has had tremendous uh, um, negative effects spiritually on people. So I, yeah, I think there's, a, I think urbanization was not uh, on the, I mean, if you weigh it all out, I think, I don't think it was a positive thing. For I see. Will you do a favor for people tuning in just a two minute second bio? 
Who are you? Where are you? What are you doing? So uh, besides uh, being a part of the Hears clan and your brother, uh, I am an Orthodox priest. Um, happen to have uh, studied theology for quite a number of years. I have a PhD in uh, dogmatic theology. Uh, I'm a professor um, at this time from afar at the, at the uh, Theological School of Holy Trinity Seminary in uh, Jordanville, New York, upstate New York. Um, but uh, uh, mainly my, I guess my identity is an Orthodox priest, Orthodox Christian, Orthodox priest, and someone who's, uh, you know, his whole life uh, tries to be dedicated to Christ um, and tries to, uh, to fulfill the, 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 the commandments of Christ. And so that's my, that's the paradigm, that's the prism in which uh, reality is uh, interpreted for me. Yeah. I think that's the best thing to say. You can go on and on about books and translations and all the rest. People can look that up if they want on the internet, but that's we'll put, the most we'll important. We'll put a link. We'll put a link to Orthodox Ethos website stuff. But yeah, so that's a beautiful, this is really interesting. I don't, I don't know if I want to go down the identity rabbit trail, but it is interesting how we all choose to say what our identity is. We do that in my family with my mixed race kids. Like identity kind of ends up being our, our faith or the church, which is a weird answer in 2021. What's your identity? And then you say like Orthodox Christian. That kind of throws people for a loop. I like it though. Kind of makes sense to me. Maybe there's meta identities. Maybe there's layers of identities, right? Obviously. Well, actually, I think that that's cuts far more to the reality of the human person than this uh, racial uh, class, uh, cultural identity. Those are, those are things that uh, ultimately do not divide humanity. What, uh, in, from the Orthodox Christian perspective, there's only one thing that really divides human beings, and that is faith. Do you believe yeah. or you not believe? Do you accept Christ or you do not accept Christ? From that's, that's from our perspective. That's also what it says in the gospel when it talks about yeah. Christ and his <clears throat> appearance as a child in the, in the temple. The prophecy of the, of the prophet uh, Simeon uh, was exactly that, that this will be a sign to be spoken against. He will reveal the hearts of many. And he will essentially be the truth, which, depending on our response to him, we're divided. You know, not he doesn't divide us. He calls us all to unity, just like the Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost in the Orthodox Church calls all, all humanity to a unity in Christ. And that's the identity, the shared identity. Of, and it, so that cuts to the heart of what it means to be a human being. Are we, what are we made in, the image of? What's, who's our prototype? Who's the archetype? Uh, so I think that actually having our identity be um, our confession of you know who we believe who we believe to is right. God who we believe we are right. it's far far more substantial and existential than black white uh, city uh, country or whatever it might be. They're what very would you specific. say? What would you say on that note to folks? With the idea that religion, whatever that is, I don't like that word, divides. It seems like that's part of the definition, actually. If you have faith in this, then you are different than if you don't. It, how do you, you, are you comfortable with that in, a, in face of a world that's sort of moving toward we're all practicing the same faith, we just don't always know it? We don't divide, uh, in other words, push people away or make distinctions, uh, but 
the truth of itself, when it's rejected or accepted, does that. So I, the Lord said, Christ says in the gospel that I didn't come to judge the world. <clears throat> I came to save the world, but my words will judge. Right. In other words, if we accept them or embrace them or not. And that has to be the case. I mean, if there's truth, if we're not nihilists, right. and God forbid we're nihilists because that's meaninglessness in this world. I think it's a right. big part of the divide between old world and new world is the old world was definitely based on a tradition, which that tradition was not, at least in the Orthodox perspective, it's not a human tradition, but a divinely inspired, divinely given and preserved tradition, right. meaning the life of the of God in the church throughout the ages. So uh, that was what defined and, 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 and gave boundaries to and gave perspective to our, uh, one's life. Whereas we have now the last two, three, four, you know, depending on where you want to draw the demarcation line, we have entered into a period of where much of the West and now much of the world sees that there is no ultimate thing. There is no, there is no uh, holy tradition that, that through which we then come to understand our, who we are. Uh, and there's no ultimate truth. And so, if you accept that there is truth, and, uh, then it, inevitably it's going to be, depending on our decision, it's going to be uh, a point of division, but not because it divides, but because we, with our decision, right. divide ourselves from, from that and then from one another. Whereas yeah. if we embrace yeah. it, we have total unity. I think that's the key. But I would, I would take issue that we, we don't, as Orthodox, believe that we practice a religion at all. So, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> at least in the in in one aspect. Now, if you want to talk about the very basic aspect of religion, meaning that which connects us on a horizontal level, that 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 is a byproduct of our life in Christ, no doubt about it, and that's very essential. Uh, so we see unity on two planes. You have a vertical and a horizontal plane. If you have unity with the vertical with God, you'll have unity uh, on the horizontal plane between men. Uh, when that breaks down and there's no unity with God, obviously there's no glue. There's no spiritual glue, as it were, to hold humanity together. And I think actually that's what we're witnessing in the world today. The world's falling apart before our eyes on many levels. And there's a mad attempt, a crazy, crazy attempt to glue it together. But it's being done in a way that is irrespective of truth and... Um, and the vertical plane. There, there is no and, transcendent. And the plane. Yeah, right. there's no so, transcendent. Yeah. yeah. There will be, I think, from an Orthodox Christian perspective, that will that will inevitably come into play again. But who will who will that be, and what will that be? That's the question. There will so, be an attempt to make it vertical eventually. So it's not going to it's not satisfactory on the horizontal plane at all. Right, like communism was not satisfactory. It did not satisfy the human person's quest for origins and yeah. ultimate things. Right. So it only had a horizontal and a forced horizontal uh, unity, right? Mm -hmm. So it fell away as a system, but in some ways it didn't fall away at all. It's being it's being propped up and it's being propagated again in different in a different form, maybe. Well, but as a utopian, as a utopian uh, alternative to a to to the vertical plane, I think if people are wondering, vertical vertical is the transcendent that which that which defines me as a divine as living a divine life, but on the horizontal plane, right? I'm both and one at the same time. I'm, I'm here and I'm there, right? Is, am I making any sense? Yeah. yeah. And so the horizontal, when the horizontal becomes emphasized or overemphasized, that's a type of utopian worldview that can, that really now worships false gods 
on the worldly plane, communism being one of those worldviews. Yeah, and communism is just one of many attempts at utopianism. I think it's a, it, it's, it was preceded by many other attempts within the, the Protestant, especially Christian context, right? So you actually, actually, there are many uh, forced attempts at a utopian horizontal unity within certain Protestant sects in the 15th, 16th, 17th century. And they're actually... They were actually seen as predecessors by the communists yeah. to their own system. So that's very interesting because obviously the communists, for the most part, were atheists and they rejected God and they wanted to overthrow all uh, religion, period. But yet they had these predecessors within the Christian, Protestant Christian context who were clearly utopianists. They thought that they would achieve things on earth. And right. For the world, by the world. That's the trick. This is for the world, by the world. But that's nihil, right? Because in the end, the world itself doesn't doesn't hold meaning without its communion with God. So that, you see how we immediately cut all the way down into like cosmology and yeah, yeah. creation and lightly, what is brother. the world? You can't avoid it. It's so amazing when you get into yeah. these questions, they're all interconnected. You cannot really find any sense to life ultimately if you don't connect everything. Everything has to come back to a mm-hmm. unity. And it's just uh it's it's actually uh just awesome. Well, there is a narrative, right? There's a universal narrative that Christians would call it. It's the narrative of, it's logos. And it's winding its way through history. And if you have the eyes to see, you see the story unfolding, having unfolded in in, in human temporal time, having been unfolded, but is unfolding even before us. The hard thing is to have the eyes to see, I think. I think that's the spiritual life, right? Is to gain those eyes, is to gain that vision. Yeah, you could be you could be actually a practicing member of the Orthodox Church, even, speaking from my own experience. And because you're ignorant of or indifferent to uh the well, deeper can't things we just be weak? Life, can't we just be unable? Or, What's una- not, or or too immature as of this moment? Can't we be that too? Sure, it's a process. Whatever, however you want to describe it, it's just, I mean, there's different reasons why, but but if we're not, if ultimately I think it comes back to an, a lack of a love of truth above all else. That's Desire what three, the, Lord, the Lord says in the gospel uh, to love and seek the truth above all else and it will set you free so you know that's a general way of describing a variety of that happens in a variety of ways for a variety of reasons for everyone right there's a there's a whole spectrum of but it's that lack which even if you're in the orthodox church and you're saying i'm going to struggle for this uh, ideal you could still walk blindly through history and not see things and i think actually we're living in one of those time periods where there is an elephant in the room and people are literally uh, looking past it and, and, and ignoring it. And we could get into that discussion. I think COVID is one of those. In well, our let's day. do it's that. Real, let's go that way. So there's two ideas I heard pop out there. You, you reminded me of the concept of martyr. It feels like maybe the martyr is the one seeing the elephant in the room and then the elephant keeps squeezing the martyr into the corner until it like squeezes the breath out of him. <laughs> and he's like, there's an elephant in here. and is that kind of what happens to the martyr is they see something that other people don't see and they're unwilling to compromise and then death befalls them. Does that sound like I'm describing? a Yeah. Martyr? Yeah. Well, this has happened innumerable times throughout history. So it's not something so unique to our, to our day, but I think it is happening again. There is, there is, um, you know, from my perspective, a, 
a kind of phenomenon of of willful um, massive uh, you know blindness to to a whole uh, narrative that's being presented to humanity and for whatever reason for fear for for a variety of uh, um, special interests and all kinds of things people are choosing not to face that to face that narrative and say what is this really all about let's examine this so the one who speaks out and says no actually the emperor has no clothes actually these these initiatives these governmental prog- uh, programs all of these things that, that are being forced on humanity the lockdowns and all this stuff actually the it, it, it's naked they're naked right they actually don't they're not justifiable they're not substan- substantial substantiated and so that person uh at least at least in the popular media i'm not sure if it actually is the case on the ground in all communities but in the mm-hmm. public media that person becomes a heretic but look if you go back to uh you go back to the 20s in 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 russia you go back to the 30s in uh, germany you go back to a variety of periods where there was a narrative that you had to believe to be a politically acceptable person in that community the, there was the minority view who, you know, who were the witnesses, the martyrs, and they were mocked and rejected, and many of them died in exile or martyred and all the rest. Today, we celebrate them. Today, we recognize them, or at least some people do. And, and, um, mm-hmm. and that's, uh, I think we're in that, you know, there's, because there's a, a lack of a love of truth on, in a massive way in our society today. I mean, people are living for the most part and this is this is what uh, is the predecessor to this state, right? <clears throat> Before you could get to the point where the Bolsheviks could literally, you know, just year after year slaughter millions of people, mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of priests and bishops and monasteries, and da 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 da, da and it goes on and on. But also just all kinds of human beings who spoke out against the, their uh, their narrative. How did you get there? Well, there was obviously a great indifference to truth. Long before yeah. the Bolshevik or the Nazi or whoever you want to put that came to power uh, in a in a you know untruthful do, way, do you, do they, you call, they, there was a lack of true love of truth long before that. Do you think that inattentiveness to truth? Let's call it, let's call it that. Do you think that is born out of what we call the New World Rationalist philosophy of the of the Enlightenment? You think that the Enlightenment is a contributor to the notion that truth might be relative or at least only known in material reality? Well, the Enlightenment uh, is absolutely a watershed time which changes the paradigm in the West. Uh, and you move from, you know, a religious faith of, of you know, alpha, a, a religious faith into a deism. And then, you know, he yeah. got any kind of real... Uh, uh, impact of a of God in the world is 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 relegated is is, is rejected and so the yeah. the vertical is essentially ejected and so once that happens then there's going to be I mean how can there be love of truth at the, after that right, because, right well see this is one of the things do you know Uncle Seth who comes on our show he's my dear buddy I've told you about him yeah go back and watch one. Let's make a deal. I'll come to your classes. You come to mine. (laughs) Mom will like that. Want to do it? Sure. I'm not going to miss even one of these. You're teaching a class right now online on uh, the Bolshevik. uh, Russian uh, New Martyrs. Yeah, Russian New Martyrs. Yeah. I'm there, but you got to come. Let's say you got to watch 10 podcasts of mine. 
10. I got 10, it's 10 week class. So 10, you have a 10 I, week? 10, 10, 10, 10. All right. Gotcha. I'm scared of that though. Like I yeah, get to my, pick my classes time. are tw- my classes are two two hours and fifteen twenty minutes. Ooh, so your podcasts solid. are a lot shorter, right? So that's how I'm gonna watch twenty. Okay, we'll do twenty. You do a twenty <laughs> pod course. It's gonna be great. You're gonna be so educated, and then people who'd actually listen to the pod are gonna go, "No, no, he's not, John. He's gonna have wasted <laughs> his life." Listen, we'll do that, and Mom will be super happy. But that aside, so the martyr in the end can see something and is willing to say it to a point of death. Is this a martyr? Is this a new period of martyrdom coming our way? If you're trying to hold tight to the narrative of logos to Christ resurrected, is this the time or are we, are you just, are we too hyped about this? In the, in, in the Orthodox Church, we've got several witnesses to the fact that we are on the verge of a time of, of, of confessing uh, confessors and martyrs. And I can how tell do you, you know examples. this? How do you, find, how do you know these things? I, I tend to agree as a history guy, but is, are you listening to yeah, something? I'll give you two examples. I'll give you two amazing examples. Right here? Yeah. I do. All right. So about 35 years ago in Greece, there was a, there's a great uh, teacher of the faith, uh, Athanasius Metellineos, great, great, holy. I think he'll be glorified as a saint one day. But he he has actually about 8,000 homilies that circulate in the Greek language. He gave twice a week for 30 years or something. Was he Athens? He was out. He was in Lodice in central Greece. Anyway, he gave he was talking and somebody asked him, why are we seeing a revival in the 1970s and 80s, on in the Orthodox Church here in Greece, there was a revival, let's say, revival is not the term they used, but a, a real renewal of monasticism, monastic life on Mount Athos here, just an hour and a half to the east of me, uh, which is the center of monastic life in the Orthodox Church around the world. And there was there was literally, people said it was going to die in the 1960s. They said, oh, monasticism's dead. It's going to close down. This 1,000-year this monastic republic that had produced so many Orthodox saints throughout the ages that's actually at the end. They literally predicted it will die in the 1970s. And the exact opposite happened. There was a massive renewal. And there were, there were uh, hundreds and thousands of, of young men who wanted to become monks on Mount Athos. And so today we have around two and a half thousand monks on Mount Athos, hmm. uh, most of them from Greece, young, and a lot of them are young men. Anyway, so somebody asked the elders, this uh, teacher of Athanasius, why is that? Why are we witnessing this? How do you explain mm-hmm. this? And he said, well, let me explain to you. And it, and it was totally, I think nobody expected this answer, right? He said, if you go back to Russia in the 19th century, and you look at what, what happened before the onslaught of the Bolshevik Revolution, when in fact, for decades, people were saying there's secularism, there's apostasy going on in Russia. Russian people are falling away from Orthodoxy, Christianity. They're becoming secularists. They're becoming enlightened, enlightened. Uh, you know, rationalist. And at the same time, there was this massive uh, renewal and influx of monastics and monasteries in places like Optina and Balam. And he said that was uh, that happened in order to prepare the people for the crucifixion and the martyrdom that was coming and that came with the Bolshevik Revolution. So he said, why are we having this now to prepare us for the days of persecution and martyrdom which are lying ahead? So that was a prophetic word from uh, Elder Athanasius. And actually, we haven't seen any kind of bloodshed to date. But what we do see is a tremendous turnaround, I would say, in the last 20 years, where we had, we had these amazing 
charismatic, wonder-working, you know, amazing figures in Orthodox Church in the 1980s and 90s. Today, we have a crisis, a grave crisis in the church in terms of spiritual uh, leadership and all the rest. So that's just one. So that's a sign. Okay. One uh, prophetic word from a very great teacher. Also, somebody who's in the church today who's an amazing uh, figure, uh, Metropolitan uh, Neophytos of Morphu in Cyprus. He said, uh, and so I'm going off with his uh, stance, he said the, ni- the 20th century was the century of great ascetics, great monastics, great uh, uh, people of prayer and fasting and all the rest, whereas the 21st century, he said, will be an age of the confessors and the martyrs. And so, I, you know, that's the vision of these very wise uh, spiritual fathers. But I would say that most anybody can see what's going on in the world today, where, where it's going. There's so a totalitarianism. Words? A totalitarianism is on the rise everywhere, regardless of the church or not. There's a grave uh, threat of totalitarianism all over the world today. So that's the answer. Really cool. And then what I'm really interested in is the methodology there. Like an icon writer, your words paint a picture, but they aren't your words. <laughs> They're words that you're retrieving from a traditional past. Just like an icon writer is retrieving images. And then adding, not really adding, right? But it, it, from applying. applying, applying, and so that's really. I feel like that's a that's a that is an a, that is a a characteristic of old world reality, not just Orthodox, but in general. I see that again and again when we travel and work. Is everything is a reach back to explain what's going forward? Mm-hmm. But the new world, we don't roll like that everything is somehow like I invented it brand new or something like, like only I could have shown you this brand new thing that never existed. So I just, I just wanted to point that the methodology, even in your words is similar to the, the iconography. This is so ingrained in not in the, I would say in the old world, but it, I mean, it's from an Orthodox Greek Orthodox perspective. This is so ingrained in the whole outlook of the Orthodox Christian is that, we have to we we draw on all the spiritual treasures of the past in order to live and then to understand the the present and the future. It's very fundamental. But does that does that reduce your ability to be a quote an individual? Do you that have ideas true. of your own? Are you trying to acquire ideas of your own? Well, but that that would be true only if uh, identifying with the truth and tradition was somehow anti-individualistic. I mean, why, why does that follow? Mm-hmm. Um, they're not opposed. The individuals, I mean, the whole idea that the individual has to live and recreate. I mean, this is very, forget, frank, frankly, this is very Protestant, right? The Protestant idea is worship has to be free and, and spontaneous every Sunday. We, we shouldn't go back to any tradition or any liturgical life or anything else. Otherwise it's just, it's I, it's seen as just rote and and external and ritualistic, and so but that that's actually not true at all. Uh, the structure and the boundaries mm-hmm. do not nullify; they actually help uh, the individual to find his uh, identity and his meet and meaning in his life. Right. Uh, I think the destruction well, of the boundaries, the destruction of of tradition, it means that the person's left at sea. To well, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. You see this, again, heavy things lightly. You see this with the team that I hate, the New England Patriots, but they have a Patriot way that's basically being handed down 
year after year through a type of person who is holding on to a tradition, Belichick, who's actually trying to teach people who come in to get rid of what they might think of their individual expression on a football field. He's trying to knock that out of them because something has been beautified. It's a, they play a beautiful game and win a lot of Super Bowls. So, of course, it's not the same because, again, I'm on the horizontal plane with that example. But I think people can hear that, which is, welcome to the Patriots. It's time for you to, in some ways, think less about your own ideas and more about what we do here within this tradition. I It, it does rankle people, though. I mean, but it. so what? Who cares? How about this question for you? I got another one. In light of this kind of playing out, uh, this cultural sort of um, disintegration, some people in history, like in the Chinese tradition, what they say is the things happening in culture are actually representative of a spiritual reality. So you can see, for instance, the Chinese mandate of heaven when there was an earthquake or there were plagues, then they would say, oh, the emperor is no longer in union with the divine. The emperor has lost his way. Therefore, get rid of the emperor. In some ways, is COVID that for for you? Do you see COVID as a as a, as connected in some way to spiritual decay? Is there some? Well, connection? it's it's interesting. It's interesting you bring that up because I mean, we wouldn't see we wouldn't see like we would. I don't know if you, this is implied in what you're saying, but I'm, I would say as orthodox, we wouldn't see nature taking on some kind of personality or life of its own, but. Obviously, we would say that we would see God's hand in all of our life, including nature. So there's nothing accidental. There is no. There is nothing uh, that is uh, luck. There's no luck in the world. So right. so that means that everything has a meaning. And the question is, do we have the interpretive key to understand reality? That's the whole struggle of acquiring the mind of Christ and the wisdom of the of the of the saints in order to understand reality. And it's interesting because, for instance. There'll be natural disasters today. Most people, because they're rationalists, they don't see the hand of God in their life. They will not attribute anything to natural disasters uh, as a part of a message or a a, a, a lesson, a, a pedagogical hand in history that shows people back to the to the path of 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 unity and of of identity and of fulfillment and all the rest. Right? People just. Say, oh, that's just a natural event hmm. that that has no meaning beyond how we explain it rationally, scientifically, and that's something that's new. That's new in humanity because yeah. if you go back into history, yeah, they definitely saw that God, who created this world, God who preserves this world, the providence of the providential hand of God, nothing is an accident. So, if there is an earthquake or if there is a, uh, a tidal wave. They're going to say, wait a minute, there's a message here for us. Maybe we're not living according to the uh, archetype as we're, as we're, you know, we're not living according to the prototype. We're not, we're not, we're not living as God intended for us, but we don't ask those questions today. And so the messages are just, are left. Unfortunately, um, the many messages we don't get, we don't see probably because we don't believe, or we don't even think that we have to live according to a law or a prototype or we're called to a communion with a with a god uh, that loves us and so therefore it's it, it's a symptom of a loss of meaning in life I, let me just we don't have to live according to a prototype i mean human beings don't the prototype calls us to health right 
The God man calls us to health. But the Dostoevsky in me is like, you don't have to live that way, but you will live unhealthy. You, you, no one's going to make you live that way, right? No, no, no. It's got to be free. I mean, I, I don't mean to mean we have to as we're, we're, we're forced to. Uh, people are free. And if we weren't free, we wouldn't be made in the image and likeness of God, according to the Orthodox perspective on things. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Uh, and, and actually going and trying to and being forced to live according to any kind of archetype, prototype, or what would, would, would be um, contrary to God's love. So it has to be freely embraced. There's no question about it. Or it doesn't have any meaning, actually. I think that's what I want to say. Wouldn't have meaning if we were all forced into it. It'd be pointless. Just like it is on a horizontal level between human beings, like a, a relationship that's truly a blessed and loving and joyful is done because there's two human beings who joyfully, freely right. embrace that relationship. That's the right. same with God as well. Yeah. I know about you and people have learned about you on the interwebs and there is a sense that when you're speaking, there's some sort of, you know, the American, you, you know, the uh, American Democratic Republican, the great tradition is, is watch out for the clerics. I, I don't think people fully understand that America is built on the idea is watch out for the clerics. And so here comes a cleric who speaks in forceful ways named you, named Father Peter. And I think in the American Republican tradition, small r, People get like, whoa, dude, where are we going to live by all your like cloaked laws, your all of your cassocked laws? Like there's a terrible fear on one level that there's some force behind your words that will turn all of your conversations into the, you know, into the Inquisition or something. So <laughs> what do you say to what do you say to that? Well, we were uh, as Orthodox Christians. I mean, I think it's just. On one level, it's understandable because the paradigm in the West was Protestant, Roman Catholic. And there was there was the Inquisition and other other things like that. And that's actually a sign of disintegration uh, of Christian life when that kind of thing happens. It's not it's not at all a sign of true Christian life. Uh, and as Orthodox, we've actually I mean, the church is always officially and in the saints, the, the official organs of, of of church teaching. We've always been rapidly against anything like that. And actually, we've been on the suffering end of that most of history. I mean, the Orthodox Church has been has been persecuted uh, since the fall of the Roman Empire in the 15th century in the, of Constantinople. We've been successively persecuted again and again and again through the Ottoman Empire and then through the communist, atheist, uh, militant atheism. So we've seen 500 years of martyrdom at the hands of that kind of spirit of, of, of totalitarianism. So I think the Orthodox of if people really understood and knew about orthodoxy, of course, there are exceptions. I'm not saying they're not exceptions. Anytime there's worldly power in the hands of sinful men, even if they call themselves orthodox, then bad things can happen. But as the church, as the saints, as the voice of the holy ones that we look to as our authority, that has never been and never will be, could not be an expression of our life in Christ. So uh, I would say that it's, it's uh, understandable, but it is ignorance on the part of people, because they don't know about orthodoxy, they don't know the history of orthodoxy, the orthodox church. So they see a, a priest and they say, and they associate that person, that image with whatever they know, which is pretty, usually pretty dismal, like very, yeah. very little, if dismal. anything. It's a good and, word, actually. Yeah. And so, um, but actually the orthodox church is the most committed of all the Christian traditions to freedom 
true freedom in Christ, uh, not not just the spiritual freedom, the ultimate freedom, which is freedom from the passions, which is what life in Christ should and, and is aiming at bringing, uh, but also the basic human freedom of freely wanting to be what, whatever it is. Right? We we very much. I don't know of any spiritual father, and certainly my experience in my spiritual life is that anytime you see someone, you know, reacting, uh, he would the spiritual father would say, "Leave it be. Do not push. Do not. Do yeah, not. I've heard that. Do not shove. Do not do any of that. Is nothing good will come of it." So mm-hmm. that's on a very basic day to day level in in family life and in communal life that you, nothing good comes of trying to force people into. Even if it is objectively good, right? You should do. You should not kill. You should not <laughs> commit adultery. It, it's obviously something that's going to be destructive to you and everybody else. Even then, if the person doesn't understand, will not listen, does not have ears to hear, the spiritual father will say, "Leave him be." He's, he has to come, or she has to come to the conclusion through their own experience. This, I have to tell you, is when I realized that I would be orthodox. Because I was a Westerner, and I was raised on all those stories of Western Christianity, and there's a lot of beauty in that, but there was always a control factor I never understood. I felt it in my bones, and I, it was it was moralism. I get it. I get it. I get it. Be good. But there was something missing, and it's that what you just said, and especially when I started to consult with Orthodox priests before my, my conversion, I started to realize these cats are not trying to direct me. Of course, they're trying to direct me. That's not what I meant. But there was something missing in their direction that was actually not missing, but it was the, it was the presence of beauty and freedom. And it was just a little different. It wasn't coded. It, it wasn't like an algorithm I had to attend to. A plus B plus C, bam, your happiness. It was a much messier and more beautiful event whenever I was counseled by priests and monks. So I, I really get that. And I think it's the Humil- most Humility is the key thing. to all of that. True yeah. humility. True, true self-knowledge. If, if, I, if I as a priest really know myself and I see my sins, and, and as, as every human being, if we see ourselves truly who we are, we will never and we could not turn to our brother and, and, and stand in an accusatory way and say, you're not this, you're not that. I mean, we might admonish them pedagogically. I'm sure. not saying that's not going to be a part of it. If our role is that, right, if we, if we have that authority to do that, they've freely given us that authority because they, they know as a doctor or as a teacher, that's the role you play. That's different. But not to stand as as one who can judge. No one, no one except God can judge the inner life of the of a human being and where they're at and what they're going through. Yeah, and so you have to you have to so you know humility demands that we uh, that we don't go there yeah. and that control thing that you're talking about. Yeah, this and this is there are so many beautiful fruits from that, but it's hard. I can remember one of my daughters crying out literally as a junior, as a senior, as she was trying to apply for colleges. Why won't you guys tell me what to do? We're like, because it's your life and I think it looks good. I don't know. You, We'll find out. And she was just like, make it happen for me. And I really saw like the fruits of a crazy faith that we took on as a family. Like, And it was hard. It was really hard to watch her. And you know what? It's okay. But I love that. So why are you a priest? 
for, so you can well, give so that why kind am of I advice. personally like yeah. subjectively why is father peter decide you know to accept ordination or why does one become a priest what does it mean to be a priest what's the what's your question well there's some juicy stuff in both of those <laughs> do do 20 seconds like when you got hit over the head to be a priest and then let's do the theological or metaphysical conversation well anybody who tells you that they knew what it meant to be a priest before they became a priest is is either stupid or lying mm-hmm. so i think we see it from afar and there's a there's an inner attraction that and i think it comes down to basically i want to be in church i want to be in that place where i feel the grace of god i want to be close to god and so i said to my spiritual father 20 whatever years ago um i want i want to be either a monk or a priest because i don't want to i don't want to just I, don't, I want my life to be dedicated to god i don't want to live for anything else i don't want to have anything above that desire and that service i want to be and then he did, and then he through a process, and we we together through a process, you know, of discerning God's will and my spiritual makeup. Uh, it was, uh, you know, it was understood that I should be a priest, and so I I left Mount Athos where I was, and I came back and went to the theological school. So I think it's basically it's not that, it, you know, being a people talk about you have a calling and all that. You know, it's really simple. Like you fall in love with God with truth incarnate and all the beauty that is the revelation of Jesus Christ and nothing else satisfies you. And, yep. and that's true with the one who goes into the monastery or the priesthood. I think it's also true in human relationships. I mean, we do that on a human more mundane, but also very important level. We have human relationships and then ultimately, of course, in, in a marriage. And it's not like, well, why did you choose that woman and not that woman? Or why did you, you know, it's not, you can't really break it down mm-hmm. and analyze it like a, a scientist. It's, it's, a, it's a movement of the heart and where you find deep peace. So that's, a pers- that's the personal aspect. But why is a priest necessary? Why, why do people become priests? Mm-hmm. Because, because the priesthood of Christ, uh, the, 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 the uh, salvific economy uh, that he brought, how he brings us to himself is worked out in the church through the offering of the Eucharist, the, what he commanded uh, before he went to his crucifixion and all the rest that goes on in the church. That has to be offered by human hands. He, he ordained it that way. He said to his disciples, all that you loose on earth and bound on earth will be bound in heaven and loose in heaven. So he gave that and he wanted it that way. Christ wanted that that his presence in the church would be worked through human beings. Now, some people say, well, yeah, but why priest and not the rest? Actually, every Christian is a priest, is a mm-hmm. part of the priesthood. Uh, every Christian that is initiated into Christ be, is a, uh, a prophet, uh, like Christ was, uh, and is a king, like Christ was. Christ had three, let's say, uh, characteristics, or, or I, I, you know, they saw offices, they call it offices in the West, I think. Prophet, priest, and king. And that was not for his benefit, but for our benefit. And so all of us in the church who live in Christ are called to that identity and that, that those things, uh, that, that um, role and those functions. Some of them in different ways, though, right? The, the, the priesthood of all the believers in the church is different than the particular priesthood of a one who's ordained to offer up 
the mysteries and offer up uh, the Eucharist in the Particularity. church. Particularity. So it's yeah, it's but the, but it's all about living in Christ in all on, in all uh, aspects and in all roles in the church. It's one life in Christ that we're all called to live. So okay. anyway, so that's a very you, quick answer on that deep theological question. Just take one more step down that road for me. And so women are not the particular type of priest. Women are priests in that description in terms of the universality of the priesthood as Christians. What, a, what about an ordained priest? Why aren't women that in the Orthodox tradition? Well, simply put, because God didn't ordain them. God didn't teach that and he didn't show that and he didn't uh impart impart that to his apostles or to any of his disciples and for 2000 years that's never been even an issue or a question in the orthodox church so i mean we could talk about the prototype and all, and theological issues but i think but ultimately in the orthodox church we are recipients of the teaching of the the lord and the apostles that's handed down both verbally and uh uh, and written in a written way, and that's a presupposition for being a disciple of Christ. You can't talk about I am I am not a disciple of Christ if I don't receive that and and seek to and to live that out and then to pass it on. The minute that I say I'm going to change that, then I'm no longer a disciple of Christ. And so, if we were to today in the Orthodox Church say we've done this for two thousand years, this is what we've been taught and lived. These are the roles by the way, of men and women. There's different roles in the church. It's not about power. In the West, it's all about power. It's this whole Marxist, you know, empowered versus victim, this whole paradigm, which was never a part of the church and never will be. Uh, and so people look at it always in terms of, well, you don't want people to have power. It's all about power, women, mm -hmm. men having power over women. That is a paradigm and a idea that is so foreign to the Christian church uh, that I, it's just bizarre when you, because our life in the church doesn't speak to any of that. We don't, we don't have these issues in the, in the Orthodox church. Um, so, but if we were to just, you know, say, well, we're in the 20th century, we need to modernize the church today and, and let's start introducing things that make sense to modern people. Well, we would no longer be disciples of Christ, period. We would, we would put that on the shelf and create a new church or create a different church or different ideas about life. And that would be tragic. Because we would walk away from Christ ultimately. People don't. People maybe I don't get that, but that's the reality. You can't do that and say I'm a faithful. Uh, I, you know, it says Saint Paul says in one of his epistles, the church submits to Christ. How do we do that? Do we do that in yeah. our head? Do we do that. You know, we do that by following faithfully everything that was handed down to us and not changing it. That's how we do that. So baptism is a type of initiation into. Becoming a Sherpa, you're carrying something that was handed down, and your job is to carry it and not break it. <laughs> I think of Sherpas going up the mountain. They're, they know the way, and they're, but they're not there to tell you all about the new side, side paths. Here, here's what we're taking up the mountain, and I'm going to get you there. And is that what's happening? We're carrying something? We're carrying the pearls of wisdom? We're carrying Christ? What are we doing? What are we carrying? Well, we're definitely, uh, especially the clergy and those who are given the uh, task and the role, uh, have a tremendous responsibility to uh, pass on what has been given because the, all of that together, that whole image and that whole life is salvation. In other words, it's life in, in Christ. So, so if you turn away from that in any way, you, you have forfeited your, 
uh, your duty, so to speak. But it's more, it's deeper than that. It's not on that, it's on that level, but it's also much deeper than that. In other words, it is the fulfillment of what it means to be a human being. It's, it's, it's yeah. the, uh, it's what it's the, it's, it's the identity of the human person uh, who lives in communion with his maker and therefore it finds fulfillment and purpose and meaning in this life. That's, that's why you be, you're baptized. That's why you become an Orthodox Christian because you find your, your point of your life, the meaning of your life and you find fulfillment of your life in, yeah. in this church. Anything less would be, something that's not salvific and something that's not divine. So I think it has to be that. It has to be that fundamental to the human person. What should be your role or the role of theology, or let's put it this way, the narrative of orthodoxy? How should it show up outside of the church? Should it show up in schools? How, how should it appear? Should it appear? Do we need to have your message inside of a different institution. You, you don't need to hear from me to tell you how to live a life that's going to end in the grave. That's not why you need to hear from me. <laughs> so if I, if you're if people are interested in an eternal life, then I think that it's really important that they turn to the Orthodox Church because they're going to find the reason for their eternal life, their 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 ultimate you know meaning of life, the ultimate things. But if 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 the church is going to become a a, a servant as an end in itself, per se, of man's education for this world. In other words, to be a better businessman or to be a better doctor. The church's role is not there. It's not on the sociological, social level. The minute that we, we, we depart from the heavenly and the, the eternal and the, the ultimate things, we become concerned mostly or all entirely with the temporal life of the human being, Per se, as an end in itself, we have forfeited the church. We've we've departed from the, the gospel. We've we've we've, uh, we've we've apostatized ultimately. Okay, so what do you this do with your kids? This is the great kids? temptation today. This is the great temptation for the Orthodox Church. Today. So what do you do with your kids? Because your kids, in most Western societies, the structure is is that they go over there, and then when they're over there in a public school or a, even a private school, they're getting ideas and messages that may just lead them to the grave. In other words, like you said, it just might be teaching them how to get into a grave. What do you do? What have you well, done? Well, this is, this is uh, something that actually I've, I've spent a lot of time and effort on in the last 20 years because I've been very involved in uh, homeschooling as one option to what you're talking about, practically and also educationally, serving ultimately the salvation of man from sin and death. Right. So that's education should be in that context. I'm not saying that it, we're indifferent to it. Don't don't get me wrong here. I'm not indifferent at all to education. I want it to be in the right context and in the, and understood in the right perspective. Uh, yes, we're going to learn a lot of the same things in the church and outside the church that, you know, in terms of uh, history and all the rest. But it's going to be a very different perspective on what those things mean in, in relation to the ultimate things of life. And so the minute I I would never consciously abandon my child to an education that would undermine the ultimate things that I, that would become that would create an indifference to them or even become uh, antagonistic of those things. So the minute I see as a parent that my child is being re-educated so to speak from what I was taught I was teaching I teach them on a daily basis through my example and through my words and through the you know teaching of the church the minute I see that, well, then my duty, my duty, if I want to be saved, 
in the sense that I want to I want to have a good defense before the the judgment seat of Christ. I do. I have to say no. I have to resist. I will give an account. I will give an account for how much my child or my children uh, were indoctrinated with uh, things that are contrary to the meaning of life. So is is there something okay? Homeschool. Is there something outside of the home? Because we get that. Anybody can argue that, right? I don't know. Santeria cats in, in, in Dominican Republic or the voodoo guys I know in Haiti, who are very cool guys, but they practice voodoo. They want to keep their kids inside the house too. Is there some, is there some pedagogy out there? Is there some epistemological pr- approach to education that's sort of neutral enough that you would say, yeah, that one is not going to do damage at least? Because most people can't homeschool. Right. Okay. So I, I think that I think that um, there are a variety of choices in terms of practical choices people have to make. Uh, I'm not saying everyone has to fit into one mold homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and so you have to. Every case is different. You have to examine every case. Some of them are going to do, you know, private schools. Some are going to do public schools. Some are going to do homeschooling. Whatever. Uh, the 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 question is, uh, in those those context what is happening is there actually a formation of the soul and mind right. or is there just a preparation for uh, a living in a society which right. is not forming people according to the truth uh, of things right. um so i'm not i'm not saying everyone and i don't think everyone can homeschool i'm not sure every kid can homeschool uh but i would say this this is going to be a little bit heretical i would prefer my child remain uneducated than to be educated according to the form of much of public education. <laughs> so I think, I think I might agree with you. Well, because here's the problem as a historian and also as a trained educator and Ivy league, yada, yada, I can tell you this. We're just training people and have been for 150 years to become consumers. It's really the goal. That's really the goal. When you walk in at K and you leave at 12, you really want to become someone who can, do some basic logic, use your mind in order to find the things that you want in life and consume them. That's really kind of what happens. There, there is no formation of the soul. If you go there, back to the beginning, not. you go back to the roots of contemporary compulsory state education, it was never about a, a formation. It was never about truth. No. It was never about no. higher uh, ideas, philosophies, anything. It was about preparing someone for the system of the, of the state and of the society so that they, they function well in that society. That's what it was all about. And it still is. And when you yeah. see the explosion of compulsory state education in the 1920s, where do you see that? In communist Russia, in Nazi Germany. Why? Because they want to use the educational system for the formation of their utopianist schemes. Yeah, but be Same careful. But they're even borrowing from the German tradition of public education, which wasn't communist per se. But it's the same concept, which is we're going to form society by educating them into our institutions. So starts yeah. at the end of the 18th century, or end of the 18th century in, in I think it was Bavaria or one that's of the right. German states. Yeah, that's right. That's where it all starts. And there was there was not this idea the state had that responsibility up to that point. Look at most people were educated privately for the vast majority of the history of the world, and yeah. they were educated 
they were educated by tutors and they were educated by uh, their parents. Yeah, if they were educated at all. But of course, it's an odd idea because they're being educated anyway, right? Like the kids I know in Mali or in Sierra Leone, they're being educated. It's it's kind of nonsense. They go to what we'd call an industrial school until about fourth grade. And the girls go till about, you know, first or second grade. They learn their their letters. They learn their to add. And then in, in the real faraway villages, you know what happens? They they stop going, but they go into a whole new type of education. It's a naturalistic education about how life works. They learn about soil and seeds, and they, they it's a whole new world. I always hated that when people say they're uneducated. No, they're not industrialistically or whatever the word is, educated. Yes. So Yes, yes. But it's quite a burden. It's quite a burden. See, this is the martyr concept coming all the way back around. There is a type of martyrdom to not investing in that in that system. You really do have to take a, a punch and your kids are going to be one of the punchers because they, they, they want that. They know it. They see it on their phones. They see it on the TV, the television screen. They see it with their friends. It's a, it's a cross. No, I can tell you that being a true struggling Orthodox Christian is the greatest revolutionary act in the 20th, 21st century. At least in my perspective, in the Christian world, in the Western world, I can't speak for other cultures and societies. But in other words, that is—you're right. It's a total revolt and a rea- and a, and a, and a struggle, a lifelong struggle against the zeitgeist, against the powers that be, the mentality that that rules uh, uh, most of uh, you know educated slash uh, uh, popular society. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're indifferent to ultimate things. That's that's what it comes down to. They're indifferent here, to the ultimate question. Here's some good news: is it's gonna even the public institutions? Let's let's just call them the nihilistic or quasi atheistic, whatever secular. They're gonna start reaching out for meaning. I can tell you, I've been in schools where they're bringing in wellness. It's just a code for, can we please have a spiritual conversation before we all die? <laughs> and you know what? Everyone's like, I feel like I'm dying. You feel like you're dying too? And then wellness is like somehow generic enough that it passes through the strainer that is the, you know, the, te- the technocracy. And somehow the, the technocrats are like, well, wellness seems important. And then it's suddenly being taught. People need to, people need to ask, it? why did we get to the point when we are afraid to have a frank discussion about reality. <laughs> That's what it seems like. People are afraid to sit down and talk like, hey, what's the meaning of life, folks? Can't do that. No, you're, you're a heretic. You're a religious fanatic, something. I don't know what it is. Well, it's I think it, it, it puts you on the transcendent plane, and, and it puts you suddenly having to go up, and now all of a sudden, are you telling me there's an up? I'm telling you there's an up. That's why you feel sick, because you keep denying it, and I do too. Can we not be sick? Can we go up? And people are like, oh, God, up. Am I going to get fired? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's and actually that's going to be happening on, on a much more and more mundane levels. That's happening. That's been happening for generations on that level. But it's even uh, it's going to be on more, more mundane levels. Like if you even um, imply there's a truth about something that the rest of us say, no, there is no truth. There is no reality. You're going to deal with that. So I think it's I think it is going to cause a massive reaction. I think it is already causing a massive reaction. I agree. Yeah, you'll see it now. You'll see. I think public institutions of education, uh, 
they're bending around, but they don't know what to do, of course, because there's no tradition to pull on. And if you pull on the Protestant tradition, which might be the only one available here is in America. Is there a Protestant tradition? Well, <laughs> so if you try to tug on that and return those ideals back into the school, no one's buying those these days. It's going to be a postmodern. There's like a lot of cats are saying on the internet, Orthodox people, I think this is true. There's an emerging God. And I don't know what it is, but it's it's emerging. There's a divinity emerging. And, you know, you and I as Orthodox might say it's not God, obviously. But there's an emerging um, sense in people's souls that I need something bigger. And that will be rewarded with something, uh, I think, scary, though. This is right. Something yep. that they're going to call yep. divine, but it actually may be anti-divine, right? Father Seraphim Rose said it all. 50, 60 years ago. You got to read his writings. They're, they're prophetic. It's so perceptive. He said, capitalism and communism systems that it were, at that time seemed like they were going to be eternal, right? They were like given all around the world. There were two systems. He said, both of them do not satisfy the human person. They are not going to be the ultimate answers. Something else will come to replace that. We'll have a spiritual dimension to it. But it will not be the God of revelation, the God of the Christian tradition. Mm. It'll be the Antichrist ultimately is what he talks about. There and that's is. scary for a lot of people. Bum, bum, bum. Put it in, Andrew. Well, you don't, people don't want to go there. I know. Don't go there. Don't go there. But that's I didn't say don't go, go there. Yeah. I, heavy things lightly, man. No. How do we do lightly with Antichrist? <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, put in some light music for the Antichrist. No, it's not possible. I'm with you. And maybe we shouldn't even be joking about it, obviously. But, yeah, well, here's the thing that people people also that's all distorted too. You know, the Antichrist is something that's been around for two thousand years, not something that's coming in the future. But right. that's a whole different discussion. It's not Jeff Bezos. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Jeff's a little too. He's a little just too, a uh, regular guy. <laughs> just a regular guy with like more money than say you and I put together. No, if you put all of our money together, he still has more. Can you believe that? <laughs> My daughter has more money than you and I put together. <laughs> the guy you know I saw at the car wash has more money. Go ahead. The, the good or bad news, depending on who it's for, is that none of that matters when he goes goes to the grave. He's not taking any of it with him. No, he is not. Yeah, so, Well... We've been on now for just about 49 or minutes or so, and I think we should stop. But I think... I think you'll come back. It's really good when you're here. Plus, I feel like now mom's really happy and we can just, we can say we talked. <laughs> well, unfortunately, we don't talk much outside of these uh, online discussions, which is. No, uh, we do little. What, uh, okay, okay what's enough. texting? What's texting? Yeah, Scary. texting. Yeah, yeah, they're great. Yeah. Texting feels like, like if you were playing in class double A ball and then called it baseball. Yeah, kind of. But not exactly. It's not really talking. But I do it. I know you do it. It feels you like know, I wanted to ask one. I to, can I add one last thing before you would close? Is that is that uh, or is there watch a time? This, watch this. Watch this. No. Oh. <laughs> yes, you can. It's just fun being your big brother. No, no, you can't. Yeah, no. Go ahead. Remember when you, you know, yelled I, at me and you said I'm a priest and that means I get to talk. I remember that. That was awesome. Did I say that really? I think you must have been really. Um, I think I was Tamada and you were like, no, dude, I get to talk because I'm the priest. And I was like, well, I'm the Tamada. And you're like, I don't even know what that is. 
So stop. Talking. Oh, that was at one of those. Yeah, one of the uh, Georgian dinners things. I think I went one. I went one to one of them. It was Papu. It was Papu's funeral. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just want to say that the, the, you finish know the whole question up. of finish it up. Do it. What's coming? What's coming? I think actually there's, you know, there, we can all like paint a really black, awful uh, picture uh, because there seems to be a trend that is pretty frightful. But I actually think that, like you said. There's going to be a turnaround. I'm I'm optimistic, not ultimately optimistic for this world because it, it's it's uh, it's going to end, uh, and the fall the fallenness of this world has to end eventually, and there has to be a new heaven and new earth, and all the rest. Uh, but but short term, I'm actually optimistic that um, there's going to be a huge uh, reaction but not just that there's going to be a divine intervention in history and, there, and there's going to be a there's going to be a lot of surprises and i would say that mm. the next three years are going to be some of the most amazing years of my life probably of 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 centuries i think it's going to be just a roller coaster uh for all of humanity and a lot of a lot of heart-wrenching things are going to happen already happening but there's also going to be a lot of a lot of hope uh mm. that's going to appear and so I think people who are struggling for the truth, people who are struggling for uh, the, the, the truth of Christ, the truth of about everything on, on, on the intellectual level, but also on the, the, the spiritual level, I think we should be um, prepared for the worst, but but prepared, but hoping and looking for uh, a very bright uh, intervention of God, because I think ultimately God is. Philotimo, he, in other words, he loves us he, and he's just, and it's only going to go so far before there's going to be reaction. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah. I'm, yeah, that's, uh, I, I can't see anything other than that. I mean, only because where there's things dark, there's things light. <laughs> Otherwise it wouldn't make any sense if it's all just enveloped in utter darkness. So, but the opportunities for light, yeah, they're coming. And in some ways, right, it's all better than the gray. And in some ways, the, 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 the capitalist consumerism has been gray. Somehow you can live a really good Christian life and also just like acquire and acquire. Yeah. Two masters. That's how people have been living. It's all coming to an end. The, the days of superficial, uh, you know, happy-go-lucky Christian life are over. It's either hot or cold. You heard it right here, ladies and gentlemen. The happy-go-lucky days of... Regular old Christian life are too serving too bad. <laughs> hey, don't you think? I mean, look at that. Can you can you can you uh, see society? Uh, you know, doesn't you got to either choose one or the other today? No you got to no man. I, I, I joke only because it's sort of my role with you and in life. But I tell you, man, beneath beneath the laughter is reality, and it's there. I agree. It's it's also beautiful. I, again, it's Dostoevsky for me. Everything goes back to that cat where you're like, wait, this is all, this, this is disastrous. And you're like, wait a minute, look at that flower that grew out of that. Look at the flower that is Raskolnikov at the end of Crime and Punishment. This is the dirtiest dude in history. And now somehow he's, he, he's, he's, he's repentant, and, and, and it was through the life of a prostitute. It's crazy beautiful. So I can I can live with that, man. Yeah, so that's yeah, that's it. That's it. So all right, you want to let's finish up by saying go go to this cat. My brother, Father Peter, he has a really beautiful online presence, and there you're teaching a course 
on the Russian new martyrs. I'm going to jump in there. Um, I actually want to, I want to get involved in your, uh, your offline course. You got an offline course too. I do. I do. Some would say I'm copying you. Others would say I'm just slow to the trend, but it's it's good. Yeah. I I think that's, that's, I think that's where you, uh, I mean, not, this is great too, but I think that's where you go deeper, don't you? Yeah. So I want to invite everybody to that. Thanks for letting me do this real quick is we're going to do a class called what is a conspiracy. We're going to start in early July and go through the summer. And basically what this is for is for folks of first things who contribute uh, in a recurring fashion could be once a year, once a month, but recurring money for our nonprofit work for sending people out into the field. Recurring money is like the gold standard because I can count on it as a, in terms of budgeting. And so if you join as a recurring donor, it doesn't matter how much, then come join us on Wednesday nights and we're going to talk about conspiring. What is it to conspire? And is it maybe not exactly what people say it is on, say, Fox News and CNN? Like what actually is conspiring to do something? So we're going to look at that historically and spiritually. Those are on Wednesday nights, but not till July. We just did a course. Can Thanks I, for saying I, that, I, brother. Can I come in and do, like, do a guest uh, appearance? What if you just came in as a student, though? he'd be like i want you to be the dude over there in the cassock like um but i don't can you help me clarify i want you to do that but actually where you don't know but like where you do know and you're like can i ask i think it's a great topic that's why i want to get involved because i think it's a really good topic and it's very timely and there's so much misinformation about it it's just crazy it's just it's just a slogan for most people well first of all yes you as a guest speaker on that would be fantastic really though seriously because one thing about the greeks is people know overseas especially in old orthodox countries conspiracy is a whole i would actually let's plan on it because the, the the way you always frame conspiracy to me americans like get all sad about it and but the it's like a reality in most of the world. Everyone kind of knows something happened on 9-11, but in America, nobody will talk about it. But overseas, conspiracy is a whole different thing, right? Oh, yeah. And it's part of the old world. It's because it's the old world, new world thing. I think it, there's aspects of it that just, like, it, of course. Like, of course, because that's, our, that's how people live. Like, there's obviously working together on some level now what level how deep all those are different questions but is right. there such a thing as a conspiracy of course it's, a conspiracy. it's ridiculous right. anybody who doesn't believe that there are people working together for common aims don't live in society like we all do people work for common goods uh, for the common good they're conspiring for good <laughs> there's people doing that and we accept that of course you know of course but you mean there were two people on a zoom call trying to fix that orphanage and they didn't tell anyone yeah, Those it's just conspirators. Anyway, anyway, it's a good topic. I hope you. I hope it goes well. I hope people uh, sign up because it's. Uh, I mean, we're getting to the point where you can't have an intellectual, frank discussion anymore, or you're going to be censored, or you're going to be. I don't know. Well, let's do it. Let's let's. What we'll do is we'll get back together on the pod. We'll we'll do a whole thing on conspiracies, and that'll lead us into the class. And then here's the other thing for you. Keep going, brother, because um, it ain't easy. And, you know, teaching, teaching the faith is not hard. It's not, I'm sorry, it's not easy. It's, it's, and keep going. And your family's up there and I love them. Say hi to them. And um, we'll check you soon. Okay. Let's keep it Join join me, as you said, on New Russian, uh, New Martyrs of Russia and the Catacomb Church. Everybody needs to come and learn about these, these examples. They're extremely important for us today. That's why I'm doing 10 week just started. 
Yeah, just started. Just started. Hop on there. Orthodox Ethos. I'll put it in the pod notes. Thanks for coming, Father Peter. Shenny Skuggy Marjos to that guy, Father Peter Hears, my brother. Um, That means to you the victory. That's set at the super table or the KP table in Georgia, which every one of you is invited to do one of these with us or with anybody. You should just go. But Georgia's far. But we can bring it to your house. It's such a beautiful party. And I'm not joking. We'll come. You put 20 people there. We'll come. We'll have a party. We'll share awareness about what we do. But mostly we'll just have a party. Invite us. Watar is produced by Andrew Schwark and Daniel Paternos, FTF guys. Our pod is brought to you by the creators of First Things Foundation. We're happy to have had Father Peter on board. And most of all, we're just happy to be at work because we have people like you who support what we do. Share Watar with friends. Hit the thumb up button and do all that. Peace to you. Nakwamdis, hasta luego, and au revoir.